the goal is to live without boundaries and without fear, understanding the bad is coming while living for the good that is there. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Bud Jeffries. Bud is one of the most extraordinary humans physically, emotionally, and spiritually that I've really ever met. His message and way of living it out in his life is something I'm really excited to dive into today. His Instagram bio reads, a professional old-time strongman, author, speaker, minister, and barbarian, massage therapist, good guy, and bad guy. And if that doesn't make you interested and just give you a little glimpse of who this man is, I don't think anything will. Today, we had an amazing conversation about having a message through strength and using your strength as a tool throughout your life. We talked about Bud's untraditional approach to holistic training and how we can be strong everywhere, mentally, spiritually, and physically. And we talked about how once a person is proves to themselves that they can do it in the weight room, they start to prove to themselves how they can do it in life. And again, this is a one of the more deeper podcasts that we've had in a long time. And Bud, just an amazing guy with an amazing message. I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this. All right. Well, coach, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Really, really uh, kind of been talking you up, trying to get you on the podcast for a while now. And we're, it's here. We're ready to do it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of how you got to the point you're at today, uh, how you climbed the mountains that you've climbed in, a little bit about your background story. <laughs> That's a long, twisted story, brother. Yeah, okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you about. Okay, so my, if you don't know me, if you guys don't know or whatever, my name's Bud Jeffries. I'm a professional strongman. I live in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, and how I became I, what I am today is a whole other journey through all of strength, really. And, and it, it, strength has been a wrap through my entire life. It's twisted its way through my entire life because of the things that happened to me. So let me kind of explain that as we go. Uh, I, I was fascinated with strength as a young kid. My dad was a big, strong guy and, and, uh, I had a car accident at five years old. Okay. And this car accident crushed my hip, fractured my skull, put me in a body cast for three months, put me in the hospital for over a month. Um, they said I shouldn't have survived it to begin with. And I actually shouldn't have survived my own birth. My mom had an emergency C-section. She was like the first woman in our County to have a fetal heart rate monitor used on her. And my heart stopped, uh, 19 minutes before. I was supposed to be born and I got this idea of being predestined to do something because of the way my parents taught me, me and the way that we lived and they're very religious people and believe that God loves us and cares for us. And, and that we, have, we all have a purpose, no matter what your deal is. And so that car accident is kind of the beginning of a pivotal moment in my life to bring me to where I am today. And, and here's why it happened in the late seventies. You know, I'm about, I'm at least five minutes older than you are coach. I'm at least, you know, I'm probably 25 years older than you. I don't know how old you are, but anyway, uh, there was no rehab. No, no real rehab, no real, you know what I'm saying? There was no, it wasn't like today where if you sprain your pinky, they put you in rehab for six months and you, you know, it's not that kind. They sent us home with like a bottle of lotion and said, well, move his legs around in the tub and you'll be all right. You know, and I, they cut this body cast off. When I said body cast, man, I, my entire body was covered in plaster from the chest down. Like I actually wore the cast out three times because you're probably too young to remember this, but you know what shag carpeting is? Yes, I do actually. You know what it is? That old, looks like hair. On the, yeah. So I was five years old. There's nothing to do and night time to get scared or whatever. And so I literally dragged myself off the bed and grabbed this carpet and dragged myself around the house till I wore the plaster off of the cast. And so they cut this cast off me and I thought, man, I'm going home and I'm going to run. I'm going to, and they put, as soon as they put my feet on the ground, I collapsed. Couldn't stand, couldn't do anything. 
had to start all over again. And in that, my mom met this guy. And this is a kind of a progressive thing at the moment, especially for where I live, kind of real country place. And she met a guy who taught Taekwondo, an old school, real Korean Taekwondo. Uh, guy trained the Korean army team, trained the Korean Olympic team. He, he was he's a for real deal. And he said, you know what? I think I can help him. I think I can help him move better and get back to doing it or whatever. So she put me in Taekwondo classes. And that gave me this foundation of athletics and flexibility and, and all of that stuff. Um, and that piqued my interest in the physical things of life that that and then that led me on a on a whole course there um however in the other things that i do that is a pivotal moment for me because so i literally came out of that cast at about double the body weight i went in so i, I still don't know for sure what they were giving me if they were giving me some sort of cortisone as a healing agent or or whatever but i literally came out like i was a thin little kid came out and i woke up i literally like woke up months later when they cut this off me with a completely different body like as a fat kid Okay. And so got picked on and pushed around with that whole thing or whatever. And then later on, I discovered weightlifting and I started to play American football. And so, uh, and then that, that led me to powerlifting. Okay. And I, there was a little local gym right down the street and these guys picked me up and threw me under their powerlifting team basically. And I, all of a sudden at four, I went and started training football at 13, uh, powerlifting at 14. Well, in six months, I was too big and mean to pick on anymore. Uh, you know, I was too, in six months. Okay. So I went from the first day in the gym, I squatted 225. Six months later at a competition, I squatted 405 in my first competition. Uh, you, when you learn how to train and learn how to build things in your body, learn the right way to train, you can make some pretty amazing progress. You can really build some people up and change their whole life. And strength is a changing factor in people's life. Man, and what I do today and some of the people I work with today from a rehab perspective, strength is the factor that changes their life. So I played football through high school, went to college, spent a year at the University of Florida. And this is kind of another pivotal moment in the change in my strongman career and why I'm why I call myself today a strongman instead of some other designation. I, I like the term strongman because it's the widest possible designation of strength. So Olympic lifters do one thing. Strongmen do kind of everything. That makes sense. I, uh, and I really I'm an old time strongman. And then I don't even know what you'd call what I do today. It's a hybrid of everything. Um, so I'm playing football at the University of Florida and I subluxed my shoulder in the middle of a practice and they put me in rehab. I go back and it happens three weeks in a row, three or four, well, three times in a row over the course of about a month. And there's like your sideline for the season. And what happened is I ended up actually cracking my shoulder joint. So the, your ball and socket like this, the backside of my shoulder joint actually chipped. So it would let the ball pop out and, at that moment in my life, I was dedicated to football. Like that was, this is a football and powerlifting. That's what I did. And at the end of the season, I had an arthrogram on my shoulder. They told me that and said, guess what? You got to, we'll do the surgery. We'll fix your shoulder, but you have a 90 plus percent chance that this surgery will not work. Now this isn't arthroscopic surgery. This is cut you open, put pins in, fix their things like that. Spend months with your arm strapped to your side and months of rehab. And they said, you'll either it won't work or you'll play. And the first hit you get, you take, will pop the pins loose. And it won't, it won't help at all. So, you know, I'm, I'm, now I am a gambler. If you watch some of the stuff that I do where I set stuff on fire, I, I will take some chances. I'm not afraid of that. But that's dumb odds for any you know what I'm saying? That, and it evaporated my football career. That was the end of that. But it was what I would call like a million-dollar injury because it did not, once my shoulder actually got healed and started back get strength and strong again, it didn't stop me from doing anything else. It didn't stop me from competing again in powerlifting. It didn't stop me from doing strongman. And, and, and that also opened a door for me. So that just kind of crushed my little world there. I, and, and in athletics, we so are so dedicated to, we got to, this is going to happen. And you know what? 
crazy stuff happens and sometimes those things evaporate. And if you don't have your head and your, your, your spirit in the right place, you go through some real dark times if you don't get it together because you never know what will happen on the athletic field or the real world. I mean, look at the real world right now. The whole world shut down completely last, this last year for and nobody was expecting it. So uh, that put me in a position to actually, in, in a weird way, put me in this position to actually perform as a strongman. So months, out, I'm still in Gainesville and my mom had connected me with this guy at a church and, and they were hosting a prison ministry. And I know this guy's too old for you to know who he is, but there's a guy named Bill Glass. Bill Glass was an All-American, All-Pro football player from the 60s. And he had this prison ministry thing. And his deal was this. They would go and set up for a place at a, at a, at a, for a week. And he would bring these crazy champions at everything you could possibly imagine. Like everybody he brought with him was the best in the world at something. The, when, they, when they came and showed up, that they brought a lady that was the world basketball handling champion. A, girl, a lady named Tanya Crevier who was about 5'2". And she could spend seven basketballs at one time. That kind of thing. And they brought, uh, they brought a guy who was a world champion surfer who was also a world-class jewel thief who'd been to prison and reformed and like just crazy, amazing people, man. Anyway, one of the guys they brought, they had, they had a guy, they traveled with a strong man and they had actually two different guys who, who traded out for him. And the guy they brought that time was a guy named Anthony Clark, who was the first teenager to bench press 600 pounds, the first person to bench press 800 pounds. And he was just a monster of a dude. Like he, he was about five, six and about three fifty. He looked like a barrel with skin. Like just his chest was like, like and he was the first person I'd ever seen with a legit 25 inch arm, which is just like, psychotic like it you know like just crazy anyway they asked me because i had already been at that time i'd already been a national champion and, and a teenager in powerlifting and i'd already won florida titles and i set a bunch of records and they they knew that and they asked me would you do a promo for this guy so so you can build people's interest in our community so that people will come and see him and i said okay but now this is pre-internet day so i had to look up what strong men do you know, and I ended up at a hardware store and bought some steel bars and bent some and figured it out and figured out how to do some of the other stuff and did a little 10 minute presentation where I talked a little bit about my life and about the things that had happened to me. And then it piqued my interest though in, in what's possible in what, cause now I all of a sudden had a little bit of information about, man, a hundred years ago, these guys were doing some amazing things and, and they're doing a little today and all that stuff. And so from there I went to, I still competed in powerlifting. Uh, I actually went to massage therapy school and that was that and was kind of what I made a living at for a while. And then I started to speak more in schools and churches and that kind of thing. And I developed a show and that's where that became my real career was a live stage show speaking in you know, all kinds of stuff over the course of the last 20 years of doing it. I've done, I don't know, something like 1200 shows and, uh, in 44 different states all around the country. The last, the last years I really pursued that super heavy. Uh, we did a thousand shows in three years in a, a school tour, got to speak to literally 300,000 kids, which was amazing with that stuff. But it, I got the ideas of what the old time guys do. And I had a lot of the modern influence of powerlifting. Uh, I actually was the first state chairman in Florida for strongman competition. So I did, did that as well. And then also Highland games and then different kinds of martial arts. And so most of my training and the things that I do today are flavored by all of those things from, from coming from that rehab perspective, from the massage therapy perspective of helping people get out of pain. Also, powerlifting, strongman, Highland Games, fighting, all of those things. And, and all of those things, you know, I think people in strength tend to, to go to a school-based philosophy versus a life-based philosophy, if that makes sense. In other words, I'm from this camp. We're, we're Olympic lifters. We're West Side Barbell. We're, you know, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're this, we're that, whatever. I think you need to make training adapt to whatever you want. And I happen to sit in this place where the broadest possible number of adaptations is what I'm looking for. Because I, even though I don't really compete anymore, I want to 
have the strength of a power lifter in those kind of lifts and the explosiveness of a Highland gamer and the endurance of a fighter and the, the, a, the wide variety of feats of an old time strongman and the, the big heavy carry stuff of a competitive strongman. And, and, and I want a bigger base of movement. So I want to be able to run like I am not Frankenstein, like most of us big heavy weightlifters, you know, and I want to move some of that from the martial arts perspective of, you ever watch most of us throw a punch, it looks like, you know, fire bad. And that's not what I want. I want the fluidity of a real movement. And, and also in that, I, I've begun to look at the other things that you can develop through training and the other things that you can do that through that uh, in exploring what I train myself and what I train with other people. Okay, so uh, in giving you my background, one of the one of the huge influences for me is my son, and I'll tell you why that that that'll make sense in just a moment as I tell it to you. So if you look at a lot of the feats I do today, if you really research, it's these weird combination feats of something that needs coordination and accuracy and strength and all of that and balance, often all at the same time, and. I have found that when you begin to really explore yourself and really look at the world, we assume as lifters that we're strong at everything because we're strong at one thing. And you do, okay, if you're a big deadlifter, you will have a big base of power in the back to work for in other things. But that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily walk out and crush some other lift because you have that thing. And here's the thing, you don't know any of this until you test it. Okay. And you also, the experiences I had through life melded and changed what I thought was important. So like, okay, I was a weightlifter as a teenager and this is the experience that changed how I thought about training. I went and worked with my cousins for a couple of days to make some extra money and they were iron workers. And I didn't, you know, and so I knew, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was stronger than anybody standing there. I could squat six or 700 pounds at the time, but they were better at picking up iron in this weird positions and carrying it around and doing and holding it in these awkward positions to weld it and different, you know what I mean? They like, and okay. When I went into grappling and when I went into so in the early days of the UFC, I got the dumb idea of let's fight. Let's see if I, let's see how I do with that. Because I'm also that guy. Like if there's a challenge out there, I'm probably going to be like, mm, okay, I got to try that. And I literally sit on the couch, found the UFC and, and watched it and said to my wife, you know, I think I'm gonna do this. She's like, okay. About three weeks later, I was training and that kind of thing. And here's, and here's what I found that changed my philosophy there, okay? I found, number one, I was real dangerous for about a minute and then really not dangerous for the rest of the – so my entire feelings on endurance changed radically from, the, from my perspective on that. Like, okay, and my thought on – because I grew up with the, you know, powerlifters don't do cardio because it'll take away from your strength. That's dead wrong. That's dead wrong. That's not, and, and it's the dumbest philosophy out there for a bunch of reasons. I knew guys who could squat 900 pounds who could not walk to the mailbox without getting winded, okay? And the reality is at some point it becomes reciprocal, it becomes inhibitive reciprocally, okay? Here's what I mean by that. You, you can get so strong and so out of shape aerobically that you will literally be exhausted by your warmups, even if they're scant warmups before you get to your max. And you will literally, even on single repetition stuff, run out of steam when you could with just a little bit of cardio get to an actual higher max because your body would be in shape to do it. And then there's a whole recovery scheme of that. That makes a whole other thing. Like honestly, uh, today, if I knew what I knew today when I was, you know, playing football or when I was first starting to fight, I would be, I'd be in 10 times the shape I was in and I would have been the stronger, faster, much better with actually probably the same or less total training because there's so much you can do about that. And, and those things are pivotal. Now, from a strength perspective, I also learned in fighting that you can be the biggest, strongest guy in the room and not the strongest positionally on any given position in grappling. 
Okay. In other words, I knew guys who I know I was stronger than them at any possible strength test and they could squeeze your neck harder as hard or harder than me because they were positionally strong in very specific moments. And you don't, you think you have all that, but you don't have it like you think unless you test it, which is why you see me do such a wide variety. Now, you know, social media is misleading. You'll, you'll um, think that there's a, you know, you'll think if you look at my social media, you think I never did the same exercise twice. And that's not true. That's not true. But it's because there's so much experimentation in what I'm looking for, because I have such a wide variety of things to experiment with that. And what I found out is literally that you don't, you think you're in shape until you test what kind of shape you're in. You think you can do this particular lift because I'm good at this, but you may not be as good at that until you actually test it, try it and see what's going on. And if you have a base of strength to work from, I think we spend too much, we, we never, you never spend too much time on the basics, but we spend so much time hammering extras on top of the basics that we waste a lot of time. We could be um, self as well as athletically exploring other things. Um, if you, cause that's why I, if you look at the, the way I've set training up and the way I do that, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, I do the basics all the time, but I don't do a heavy volume of them. I do a, a minor volume with a high intensity so that I have time, energy, and effort for other things to explore what's there. And so in relation to, okay, my son, and we're going to talk about why I am who I am today. My son was born under very similar circumstances with me. Five different doctors said he would never survive. Um, said my wife would never be pregnant. Um, and then at five years old, he had a, another formative thing. He, he broke his arm and, and uh, actually was given a drug when they set his arm called ketamine, which he had immediate reaction from and had six weeks of, of sick and threw up every day for six weeks from the reaction from this drug. It's insane. We, we're America's the only country that gives this drug to people anymore. It's actually a PCP derivative. That's a dissociative, which means you don't fight. And that's the only reason they do it. If they give it to you as an adult, it will damage your brain. It only children can regenerate from it. It's a, it's a cheap drug that, that keeps you from fighting is what it does. Um, it's horrible. We should not be doing it, but, but we do it because it's cheap. Anyway, that changed him and he, it changed the way we educated him. I can talk about that more later. And it allowed us to, we actually, because of that, he was going to fail kindergarten because he missed literally months of school. And then we just took him out and we found either then that either that drug caused or revealed that he was dyslexic. So that led us to homeschooling him because we couldn't get any decent help in our area. But in doing that, we put him around the most amazing people we could find. And some of the strongest men in the world are friends of mine. So they were friends of his and they, they you know, if you're, it changes your perspective on strength. If the guys you call uncle so-and-so regularly lift 400 pound rocks and bend iron bars, you get the idea that, well, doesn't everybody's dad do this on the weekend with his buddies? And that, and that, and that and I can, if dad does it, I can do it. That kind of thing. That led him to a life of absolutely phenomenal power, but he had a crazy talent for hand-eye coordination. Uh, he was a two-time uh, NSCA All-American shooter. He was a teenage uh, national champion, side-by-side -side champion for sporting clays. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like skeet or trap shooting. It's a variation of a shotgun game that you play. Um, and he he could do just a literally phenomenal things. Like he would shoot aspirin out of the air with a BB gun with either hand. Like literally throw an aspirin and just pop, pop. And one day he took a quarter and shot it out of the air. And he used a little, you know what a Red Rider BB gun is? The one from the movie Ralphie has in, in Christmas Story. Okay. Well, it's, it's cheap. It's 25 bucks, okay, at Walmart. But it's not a very strong BB gun. So, like, if you use a real super heavy one, it'll, it'll blow the quarter out of the air. But if you use a light BB gun, you'll just put a dent in the quarter and you can walk over and find the quarter where you knock it out of the air. He shot the same quarter 241 times in, the after, in one afternoon. Uh, 
it's so see what I mean? He just was phenomenal in his ability to do those things. And his ability to do that awakened for me the need to train those things, the need to to look at, you know, um, like I want to be the most well-rounded, most incredibly powerful, but also the most coordinated, balanced, accurate, um, enduring, rugged at, at every possible way. And he awakened a lot of that in me um, because he was so phenomenal at it. So we, we would occasionally train together and do those things or whatever. And he also was, you know, high level in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He was, uh, he played nine musical instruments. He graduated high school at 15 years old. He was the youngest person ever inducted into the uh, physical culture museum in Austin, Texas. He could bend steel. It was one of the top short steel benders on the planet. Like he was bending. Uh, if you don't know, that's one of the big things from old time strongman is the sort of the entrance to the club is bending a 60 penny nail. Well, he was bending a 60 penny nail at 12 years old. And at 15, he was bending the red nail from iron mind in less than six seconds. And at 18, he was bending, he could bend a cold hardened steel chisel, a six inch cold hardened steel chisel. There's only like, there's less than 10 guys on the planet who could bend that. Uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. That's one of the pieces that and some of the other pieces he bent are some of the pieces in the physical culture museum. And I do some of that today. And I'll tell you why we, two and a half years ago, my son was killed in a motorcycle accident. He was 21 years old and it's like a nuclear bomb goes off in your life. And one of the things, and one of the reasons I train some of those things today is because it makes me feel close to him because it's the things that he did, the things that, that were, and it, and it opened a door in my mind as to what's possible. And what's possible if you, so all training is about focus. I don't care what it is. In fact, okay, you look at the old time Shaolin guys and you see all this massive physical training. Well, if you really read why they did that, they did that because in the original building of the Shaolin temple and the Buddhist meditation and the stuff that was going on there, they weren't physically in shape enough to meditate for long periods of time. So they began to physically train. Also, they had to protect themselves because it was a dangerous world at that time. If you want to build the craziest focus that anybody has, put a heavy weight in your hand or on your back. Okay. Stick, a sh put yourself in a power rack, put something you can lift only four inches, the heaviest thing you can lift and try to hold it for 30 seconds. The entire rest of the world will melt away because your body will take your mind over in that nothing else that you're not going to be worried about whether you left the stove on, whether or not your girlfriend is you know mad at you your focus will automatically narrow. And all training is that. Training to balance is focus. Training for endurance is focus. Training for strength is focus. Training for accuracy is focus, 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 focus. And every bit of this is a transferable set of skills beyond the original thing you're training. So when you're training strength, you're training a bigger set of life skills that then can go into life and business and study and, and academics and, and building a better human being. So in response to his death, we tried to carry on his life. And we did that by building a foundation called Noah's Army. And what we did is he, he was set to, he'd always wanted to be a sheriff. And he was literally a month or two away from starting the sheriff's academy. And he decided, to, we, we, you know, my mom and dad, we tried to pay for it. Well, he wouldn't pay. He wouldn't take it. He wanted to pay for his own way. And so what we did is to carry on his life, we started giving scholarships to self-pay sheriff's academy to the people who are paying their own way, the veterans and the other guys who, who are just doing their own thing and, and want to go through the Academy. And so if you're, we gave a scholarship to people who are good for their community and are becoming a policeman. And then we expanded that also to first responders and firefighters for the same thing. And we've also expanded to advocating for women in domestic violence. So we helped some women get out of that. And we're expanding even further into that. And he also had a plan. He was really, really gifted and loved music. 
And uh, he was around some kids and, and that were very, very sick occasionally. He wanted to have music into their life. And so we have next, the next program that we're building is based around music um, with for children with terminal illnesses, that kind of thing, as in teaching them how to play, giving them something to do with life because it was such a formative thing for him. Um, and he was, we believe in carrying on that legacy as much as he, as he would have wanted because he was dedicated. He was 21 years old. He was dedicated to helping people. Like literally, I'll, I'll give you a story about that and then we can move on to, that should explain me well enough to, to know what's, why I am who I am today and what I'm doing and, and that kind of thing. He, uh, at his funeral, a lady came up to us and he was so well known to the police officers in the area at the time. He was a sporting clays coach and shotgun coach and range uh, officer for one of the sporting ranges here. And he'd shot with all the cops and knew all these guys. Well, the sheriff in our county actually spoke at his funeral and they, he's the only person in Florida history that they posthumously made a deputy. They, they literally swore him in as an open office at his funeral. And this lady came up to us and, and, I, and this is a telling thing about leaving a legacy as a human being about helping people. And the lady was actually one of the people who works in the office at the sheriff's department. And she said, I want you to know I knew your son, but I didn't know him for the same reason that all these other people knew him. Everybody here shot with him. They knew him in, on different things or whatever. I knew him because of the phone calls I got about him. So about a month before he died was Hurricane Irma. And if you don't know, that was one of the biggest storms ever to hit anywhere ever in recorded history. Just wrecked Florida. It was crazy. And in preparing for that, what we did as a family is I stayed with my parents. My wife stayed with her parents. And Noah went and stayed with his girlfriend's grandparents. That way, the youngest, strongest, most capable people were with the older people in case we needed to be an emergency, in case we need to help, help things in emergency. And he rode his motorcycle to the lady's house, to their house to stay because he thought he said this to us. He said, well, if there is a real emergency, I'll be able to get in and out in places that cars can't go um, pretty, pretty well. And I, I'll be more mobile that way. And I didn't know he did this, but he took a chainsaw, had strapped to his bike. So if you can imagine this post hurricane, there's this kid riding around the South area of our town, cutting tree, cutting up trees so that first responder vehicles can get into the neighborhood. And he actually pulled a tree off of a person and he, you know, he, they called, people were calling the sheriff's department saying, Hey, this kid <laughs> who I think was wearing a captain America t-shirt was literally riding around with a chainsaw, cutting up trees and help. She got multiple calls about him being at the scenes to help people and helping the sheriff's department and helping the first responders and, and helping the people there. We didn't know about that as his parents. He never said a word that he did it to us. But the lady came up to us and said, I want you to know I knew him because of the good that he did for other people. And because of that, we tried to carry on his legacy. And, and one of the things I do personally is I have tried, I'm nowhere near the shot he was, but I, I've tried to repeat some of the physical and, and accuracy-based feats that he did and sort of meld his style into my own. And what I found was there's an entire other set of physical, mental, spiritual skills to train. And uh, so what I am today is the variation of strongman that I am, which is sort of my own thing, which is a combination of the widest possible varieties of mental, physical, spiritual training all together. And then that's how I make my living. Either. I don't do a lot of live shows anymore. Most of our stuff now is online with books and videos and that kind of thing. I have seven books and, and multiple videos from our website. And, and, um, and then uh, actually we diversified now more into, we have a small farm and we're doing a lot of stuff like that as well. But so 
also in relation to that, some of the things I've done today that are strength-based are about training people that have been disabled in one way or another. So I have a small group that trains at my house and usually it's just older women. Uh, I started to train this lady who had 27 cancer surgeries. She had so much inflammation, she couldn't do much of anything. She could barely walk. Couldn't, she literally 50 something, just turned 60, but she walked like she's 100. I mean, it's just horrifying. And strength, the kind of thing that I do, which people think is the craziest thing in the world. What do you mean you had this 60 year old lady doing one rep sets? Well, one rep sets is all she could tolerate. But suddenly she started to move better and walk better and that inflammation started to go down and all those things. So now I'm about experimenting with myself and other people in the widest possible variety of strength and doing all the good we can do and then living the wildest life of, <laughs> of contradiction, of looking like a hell's angel but trying to be a nice guy and uh, that there is. So hopefully that explains me in, in, in what can be explained. Yeah. And I think that's uh, the, the number one thing that I continually took away from the entire story and something that I really love about your message is the, is the message of strong for life. And I think in every aspect and in every, like every way possible, we can take this and program for this because if we want to just go physical, like you, you, you even met, you mentioned it in the physical realm of the, the people that are strong in the weight room. And then you put them in any situation that isn't the weight room and they're not strong. And then and, and that person is not strong for life. But then it's also the mental and spiritual side of things that you mentioned is maybe they're strong in one aspect. Maybe they are strong in the weight room. They're strong in other aspects of their life, but they haven't built that, that mental fortitude throughout the training because they're not exposing and stressing themselves. And that's something that I continually emphasize with my athletes and try to put them in situations in which we are building strong for life athletes, you know, like to where the next four years that they spend with me, hopefully it affects their next 40, you know, and we're continuing to grow like you mentioned in, in a really, really beautiful way is like that, that big base of who you are as a human. And I'm interested in, you mentioned it all the time, but like how you are implementing that into your athletes that you train into the, the, the person's people that you help out in everyday life of making sure they know that's why we're training, making sure they know that the strength aspect of it is a tool to use for the rest of their life. Because I think that's where a lot of times, and I've for sure been caught up in this before too, is we're using strength almost maybe as a band-aid for something in our life or we're using strength as like our main focus of our life rather than a tool to push us forward in life. Right. Right. Well, we talk, you know, um, you know, ask about how we talk. We talk about that. We talk about that as, and most of the people who train with me now, I mean, there's a couple of guys who are just buddies who train their athletes. We, that's why we train, but we've also, most of them are, you know, have hit that place in life where they're seeing that there's more to things than that. They don't just work out because I want to look good for women. They don't just work out because, uh, I need to play this sport. They work out because there's more, they're seeing that there's more to it that, they, you know, cause people talk about, okay. And I mentioned the Shaolin meditation for me and for the people that would do this, this is, this is meditation. This is, this is my mental building moment. This is my peaceful clarification. And I, and I don't mean it like, okay, I see a lot of young guys who, and I've talked about this quite a bit in other, other areas, a lot of young guys who train out of anger, and they train it out of there. And, and I think that's useful occasionally if you are truly angry. But here's the thing with that. You got to remember this. Everything that you're doing physically is mental practice. And everything that you're practicing becomes habitual to the point of normalcy. Okay. Uh, meaning this. If you're always training because you're angry, you begin to perpetuate yourself being angry. And I, I believe in aggression. Okay. I, you know, if you, you met me, if you, if you meet me in person, you, I'm aggressive. <laughs> okay. But I don't believe in 
angry, aggressive training on a regular basis. If you, okay, uh, I talk about this in, in its building of both mental and spiritual character, and here's what I mean. If you ever watch a group of powerlifters train, especially some real hardcore guys, it comes across as super angry. And sometimes it is. Sometimes those guys really do harness, you know, life trauma and anger and all those things and, and pour that rage into their thing. But if you make a habit of doing it all the time, you just created a Pavlovian connection. Okay. Uh, when the bell rings, you, that's what you think of. You see what I mean? That means every time you see a weight room, you literally click the anger button on instead of off. Even though you, it is useful as a stress reliever and all that, all those things are wonderful to do. But I said that to say moving toward training out of happiness is a much bigger, more powerful thing instead of training out of anger. And, um, and it's very connected to like the way Eastern philosophy works. So if you look at old school psyching, if you ever watch the power of really, really angry psych up, it's kind of like hard style Qigong. And then if you look at a softer version of that, it's more like uh, Tai Chi. So what I want is that mix of being able, and I found this as a stage show thing, being able to immediately turn myself physically on to do a feat and then go right back to talking in a stage show is a huge skill for strongmen. But in life, it's a skill to being able to immediately turn off and control and train those things on a regular basis and not making the point of training anger, making the point of training joy, making the point of training fun, making the point of training to be able to do this forever till, you know, till I'm gone, uh, making it and making it the point of, okay, I, I talk about a lot of the reason I train such a wide variety and people are like, why don't you ever just lift and all that stuff, whatever is okay. I want to build something that I can then take out and test. Like for me, if you just ever go in the weight room and that's, and I don't necessarily mean competition, which competition is awesome. And if you want to compete, that's awesome. I did a hundred of them, but I'm through with that part. Okay. Here's what I mean. If you just take that in the weight room, and you build and build and build and build and that's all there is to it. It's like you built this huge muscle car and you never took it to a track. And you know what I'm saying? You don't really, you know, it's great to have, you don't drive it around. It's not, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to be that. And that's what I try to express with a lot of these people. I want this to make something in your life better. I want this to make your whole life better once you realize that I'm, well, crap, I can do things I didn't think I could do. And a lot, you know, and this is something I found, especially with the women that I train is nobody has ever said to them, you can do that. All they've ever said is don't do that. Or you're not, or, or they've had truly toxic people in their life who said, you, you're, you'll never be good enough to do that. Nobody's ever said to them. And this is one of the most building things about strength is when you lift five pounds more this week than you did next, the last week, you just hit that. I can do it. I can do it. It's practice of self-esteem. It's practice of success. It's practice of problem solving all the time. If you make training both the most fun as well as probably the hardest thing in your life, and here's what I mean by that. Most people are about five pounds over strong enough to live their life. And here's what that means, okay? If, if the toughest thing in your life is carrying the groceries to the car and you're uh, able to do it but not really easily able to do it, the first time your life really calls for anything really tough, you'll be injured by it. Not only that, you won't age well. Not only that, you won't feel like doing anything. You won't feel vitality. You won't feel like the way that um, the pump feels when your biceps are pumped and you feel blood coursing through your veins. That's how I want your mind and spirit to feel from training. And that's the thing I want you to take home with that is I can do anything. I can work through anything. I've built myself into something. And not only that, 
there is a coursing power flowing through my life that I now want to live, not just exist. Because most people are doing that. And this, I think, is the key, one of the keys, maybe the fastest key to opening up people's mind to the idea that, okay, I'm not doing this just so I can, first of all, I'm not exactly pretty, but looking pretty is not the idea here, okay? Feeling amazing so that I can then go out and want to do things in life is the point. And then having the ability to back it up with whatever I feel like I want to do. Well, I've done some training in a similar or that area so that if I want to go do it, I can go do it. I, that's what I want. And, and if, I, if I need to stay up late working or if I need to concentrate really super hard to get something written or business or I need to block a distraction out to get something done or if God forbid something happens to your life like happened to mine where you lose somebody who's the most important thing, you have enough armor to get back, get through it. And, and that has, you know, that's, that has deeper connections. That has connection to God, to people you love, to what you think about life and death itself, to those things. And that has deeper connection, but, and people are going to say, you know, uh, you know, uh, weightlifter, it's just, you're just weightlifting. I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm one of the biggest, I look like the biggest stereotype you can possibly, and people look at me and think that they think, oh my God, he's a muscle head. He must be dumb Or, or I must be violent because I'm big and scary looking. Okay. What they don't see is that these things have such a deeper connection to all the things of life that they allow for the expanse of a human being. They are like Bruce Lee talked about the expression of self. They allow for the expanse and expression of self of if I feel like, if I believe in those things, if I have the fire of life coursing through my veins on a regular basis, I will want to learn more. I will want to do more. I will want to experience more. I will want to live better. I will want to take better care of myself and those people around me. And I think that starts with, I don't know that I like that, the word self-care, but really maybe, and this is the craziest, that maybe heavy squats are self-care. You know what I'm saying? And maybe, maybe, every time, maybe every time you see me out lifting a rock, it's not somebody taking aggression out on something. It's building the self of me into something that can help someone else or something that makes me a better human being, not just because I'm physically stronger, because my mind is more clear, because I'm more peaceful, because I add all of this into the same practices. So it's not just, um, am I getting stronger at this? It's, am I getting stronger at this? And my mind is getting better and I'm directing more forces in the right direction. And I'm, uh, using my both physical as well as subtle energy. And I'm all, am I melding all of that together? into the bigger, higher mountain point. That's where, and that's what I tell, you know, okay, I'll give an example. This is just a silly little example. Not, it's not silly, but it is, it's a very small example of something somebody could do that they couldn't do before. I trained one lady who had broken, as a kid, had broken the same arm six times. And to make a living, she worked as a hairdresser and she, her arm just was mangled. And I did a lot of massage work on it to get it pain-free. But we started doing a lot of strength stuff. And she, she's somebody who had never in her life had somebody say, you can do it. You're capable. You're strong. You're getting better. You're getting better. You're getting better. And she got a lot better and a lot stronger. And one day she, she, when she was younger, she loved to bowl and she never, but she literally had got so much pain in her arm and hand. She couldn't pick up a bowling ball anymore. And the last time she tried, she could barely pick up a kid's ball. And I happened to have a bowling ball sitting in my yard because I used one in the strongman show. And we were just talking about, and she's like, you know, your hands have gotten so much better and stronger. She's like, you know, I wonder about that. I'm like, I said, well, try to pick that ball up over there. And the last one she picked up was like six pounds and it was hurt. It hurt her. 
and I had a 16 pound ball because what I let usually the finish of my strongman shows, I have somebody climb a ladder and drop the bowling ball on my stomach. That's the, that's usually my finishing feat because it's a real good, it's an excellent crowd pleasing feat. Um, and so I just had it sitting with my equipment or whatever. So we'll pick that up and she picks it up. Like it's, uh, she picks it. It's you ever do that thing where you pick up something you think it's going to be heavy and it's not, and you, you pick it up. Well, that's how she picked it up. She picked it up like, Phew. I'm like, and she's like, well, I guess you can pick up a bowling ball now. She's like, oh my God, how this is, this feels like the last one. Is this one, this is a six pound? I'm like, no, it's 16 pounds. And it gave her the ability to do something that she could never, that she, it brought back an ability she, she lost. It brought a confidence about things that like, holy crap, I, it, it's a clear delineation of I am better than I was. I can take my life back. I can rebuild. I can do that for, for her, even though that seems like a small thing for a lot of people, that was a pivotal moment. Like the other lady from the cancer thing that I talked about, I trained her. She had a pivotal moment because she was literally able to lay down on the ground and stand up for the first time by herself unassisted in like 10 years. It, it's simple. It doesn't have to be okay. Uh, for me, you know, for me, a pivotal moment might be doing, might be walking with a thousand pounds for them. It might be standing up off the ground. It's, it's not about being super huge and strong. It's about being you, the best you you can be, but also unlocking the idea that you can be, okay, that same woman who picked up the bowling ball. I've had three different women do this. When we trained, they all pulled a semi truck, like a literal full on, you know, tractor trailer. Okay. Something they never thought they'd be able to do. And every one of them was able to do it with the right training, with the right coaching. It's unlocking a set of potential. And most people are living, actually most people worldwide are just existing. They're not living. Because I don't think it's living unless you're trying, building, doing more. But they're living so far below their potential. And they've been taught that, you know, lifting heavy is bad for you. They've been taught, no, only, only just genetically gifted people are strong. You know what? It'll take you like 10 years to figure out whether or not you're genetically gifted at lifting or not. And by the time you get there, you'll be so stupid strong that it won't matter whether you thought you were genetically gifted at it or not. You, and everybody can be so much better in every capacity than most people are living right now if they just incrementally do the work a little at a time and knock down the mental barriers to believing that they can't do it. And there's, there's so many messages there that I also like continue to preach my athletes. And the, the one thing that I really like that you continue to bring up is it's not like, it's not the five pounds that you added to the squat bar. That is, that's our goal. It's what that five pounds had to do squat bar, whatever lift it is, whatever it is, picking up that bowling ball. It's how that kickstarts your life, you know, like how that can totally the snowflake that causes the whole avalanche of your entire life. And you can see it change. You can see it change people like how they walk around, how they approach people, the, the confidence that they have. And I work with a lot of high school to college kids and you can see the confidence of something like doing something in the weight room, doing something on the field, winning a competition and starting to see that transition to, all right, then they had a job interview and now they, they, they can walk into the job interview. Like, all right, I didn't think I could do that. And I did it. I can for sure do this. And I think that's where it just needs to be emphasized and brought out more is like you said, it's not the stereotypical, like, all right, we're going to get in here, get huge. It's all about the palms, all, all about the arms. It's the, the, the other 23 hours that that one hour of training helps you with and how it completely kickstarts everything else in your life. Absolutely. I think that's the, that the, the further I go with this, the more that's the takeaway of everything that I do, the more that that's the takeaway that the, the lift is the smallest part of what it's giving you. 
You know, it, it, the lift is the, the, the tool, not the end result. The end result is the life that you build off of it. The lift is just the, the basic tool you use to build it with. And, and yeah, okay, yeah, is it about building muscle? Yeah, yeah, okay, nothing wrong with that. Looking better or, or doing whatever, that kind of thing, but it's more about the power it gives your mind. And seeing it that way is the big thing. But once you begin to consciously get that, I'm not just doing this to get bigger or stronger, or get, I'm doing this to get my whole being better, not just my body, my mind, my, and to be, okay, and you work probably with younger kids, you know, uh, I work with a high school team, but I mean, here's what I mean. A lot of people that talk to me are a little older than that and beginning to see that, you know, if you really do take care of and make your body pretty amazing, you can keep doing some pretty amazing things for a really long time. And you can begin to, you get to a, a place where you don't accept normal or aging or defeat or, or all the things that, that most people just give up on on a regular basis. They, they see a number on the screen or they see a number, it's their birthday and oh, that's it. I can't do it. Listen, man, the world is full of examples of people who are, you know, probably older, more disabled and poorer than you and are doing amazing things and have been for a thousand years. We're just so conditioned to be afraid of the whole world that we, oh, I can't, oh, I can't, I'm not going to, yeah. you are your own self-fulfilling prophecy. You say you can, you will be able to. You say you can't, you won't be able to. You say you're old, you get old. You say you're weak, you get weak. You say you're strong, you get strong. You say you're young, you get young. You say you're vital, you get vital. And you say you're going to get better in strength. You say, I'm going to do this lift. You get the guts to actually try the thing and keep trying it over and over and over again until you actually make it. You just put another block in your success. You just put another block in, in your ability to make things happen in life. And that's what this is. This is making life happen with, it's just building a better vehicle to do it. Yeah. And it's proven to yourself that, all right, now I am the winner. I am that successful person. I am the total different person. I'm interested in, for the listeners that's listening to this podcast, uh, what they're not working with you. They're just listening to this message. What would be some of your maybe keys to training keys to how to approach the weight room, how to approach a session in which things that they don't have you training, they don't have you pushing for this mindset to where they can start to grow this mindset on their own. They can start to grow this winning mindset. They can start to progress themselves in a weight room. Like what, what is your approach and how would you push somebody that listens to this podcast to approach their next training session, to approach their next program that they're trying to move forward with? Okay. Um, I would begin to do, I would do two things. I would number one, begin to approach your sessions as if you've already won as if you are going to win with an absolute confidence that you're going to win. Like don't walk into a session thinking, sure hope I go up today. Sure hope things go, you know, go okay. And approaching it, okay, with a combination of multiple mindsets sort of melded together to whatever works best for you. Okay, Uh, here's what I mean. Uh, You wanna approach it as a workman, okay? But as more than a workman. So here's what I mean. Um, People get up and go to work every day. They don't get excited. They don't get freaked. They don't get worried about it. They don't get nervous. They just get them to go to work. That's all there is to it. So you approach it like that, but at the same time with a more, with a fun, with an excitement, with a, with a, um, as if this is going to be both an adventure and a joyous moment in time. And this is a, if you approach it as a drudgery, I have to go train. Number one, you're mentally making that image. And number two, you're doing something wrong. You're physically doing something wrong. You're not sleeping enough. You're not eating enough. You're not taking care of yourself. You're not doing something you enjoy. Okay. Um, like that's what, okay. 
I have the luxury because of the way my life is of training any way I want. Um, in other words, I'm, I'm not necessarily stuck in a particular sport training so I can do whatever I want with that whole thing or whatever. But in that, I have the ability to work within my own mind for that day. In other words, um, sometimes I want to go out and lift a particular lift super heavy. And sometimes I want to go out and just invent something and try something new and, and play and that kind of thing. I think you need to build that mindset where it's a habit. It's, I approach it like a workman, but I approach it like I'm going to a party. Like this is a joyous time. Like this guy, like one of the big things for me as a kid, when I first started powerlifting is, okay, um, 14. Well, everybody else who trained was 25, 25 and 30. They were older guys. And I had a whole team. I had a social team of 25 year olds who were the funniest guys I'd ever met up to that point. And we had so much fun lifting. And try, and so even if you lift by yourself, do, doing things that make fun, make, make it things you enjoy. If you have control over what you actually are going to train, do the things that fit your body and make and are fun to you within the idea of discipline. Okay. So some people, if you turn them loose, they'll, all they'll ever do is bench press. <laughs> and they won't be disciplined enough to squat or do other things or do other doing what you love to do within the context of what you need to do. Okay. And in approaching it as a gift, not a, uh, not a drudgery. Um, I had a buddy who was actually the, the original strength coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, a guy named Kim Wood. And Kim is a collector of all kind of strength memorabilia. And his house is like a museum of strength material. And his gym's like a art piece. Okay. And here, here's something he said to me that I thought was cool. He's because people asked him, well, why do you bother buying, you know, you've got all this stuff. Why do you bother buying those collectibles or why do you bother buying, uh, that particular piece of equipment. He's like, okay, now he's much older. And he, he said, because I've only got so many reps left and I want to enjoy every one of them with the coolest thing I can put my hands on. Okay. Now I don't like him looking at it in the idea of I've only got so many reps left, but I like looking at it in the idea of I want to enjoy every one that I do. I want to enjoy. Now that don't mean if you're in the middle of like, you know, 10 minutes of snatches and you're about to die. Okay. Some of that might not be the most enjoyable thing I've ever done, you know, but looking at it as a gift, as fun, as joy, and looking at it with both excitement as well as a, a dominant mindset, as a winning mindset, as a, I'm sure I'm going to succeed in this mindset. Those are the things I think are, are good with that. It helped me to begin, and this is going to sound strange, in, in, but why not? Everything else I've said is strange. Um, it helped me to, I did this because I wanted to learn to do it in a show, but I also wanted to do it for life. It helped me to literally do meditative energy work between sets for a while. Okay. So I think that whatever you practice together melds together. That makes sense. I have a friend, Dennis Rogers, who's the greatest professional strongman ever lived. And when I first started getting into, into strongman stuff, I, you know, I didn't have the experience or whatever. And I was doing lifts that, you know, would require kind of a psyching process. And later on, I got a little bit past that. And I watched Dennis perform a few times. And Dennis could go from zero, totally calm, making jokes, to within a few seconds, be at the top of his strength zenith. Um, which is a combination of a practiced mindset. In other words, um, I don't think you should walk around all day with your game face on. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, you need to be able to turn it on immediately between sets and offsets or whatever. Um, and 
so you watch Dennis in a stage show, and if he's bending the hardest thing you've ever seen, or even if it's pretty tough for him, the entire psyching process is, and he's ready. That's it. That's that's the end of. There's no, you know, walking around for ten minutes, slapping yourself, doing it. There's none of that. I started to practice that immediate turn on, turn off, immediate turn on, turn off thing, and I started to practice it by doing literal qigong stuff in, in. Uh, in between sets. Okay. And I, for a couple of reasons, number one, I was going to do, I was doing touring at the time and I needed to be able to, and when you're doing a professional show, you literally need to be in good enough aerobic shape to do a strength feat and go right back to talking. You can't just be out of breath for 40 seconds and lose the crowd. And number two, in watching him, we kind of figured out that what's going on is his mind was immediately focusing and all of his energy was pointing in the same direction, if that makes sense. And that's really what Qigong is, is the manipulation of subtle energy around the body. It's a manipulation of quantum energy really is what it is. It's the, the energy of the spaces between your atoms, which a lot of people are going to say is baloney or whatever. But I can tell you this, you can make a difference in how you perform when you do it right. And what I did was this, I started to practice that. And in practicing that, it became a normal thing. So now I don't have to think about, okay, focus, okay bring your energy in. Now I just do. And I'm immediately focused and my energy is immediately pointing the right direction. And I don't, there's no, it becomes an automatic thing. When you get that going and your brain and your body all function together in practice over time, you change your whole mindset and how you train, you change your whole idea. And, and I began to purposely focus on smiling or laughing or being happy between sets. And even when I go to do, doing a set, and I, I found this because you see a lot of people look angry in the middle. And sometimes I look aggressive and it is what it is. If you hear me laugh when I'm about to do a lift, I'll be the strongest you've seen me. I found that joy is stronger than anger. That, that, uh, that, that, and it's less tiring. It, that's when you leave a session feeling awesome and not beat up. And you, um, you do that. And those are the things I would mentally look for in, in building, maybe start to do, start to make it a habit. Because after a while, it starts to begin, become a habit. So if you knew that going to the gym was going to be the happiest, you know, okay, hopefully every moment of your day is you're cultivating something that you enjoy for what you work, for what you study, for who you live with, that whole thing. But if you knew that the thing that most people dread was going to be the joyful experience every time you did it, that'll change the way you think about things. That's the things I would begin to look for in their, in their brain in, in changing how they is go in assuming, believing, absolute belief that you are going to get better in that session. And Bill Clark, guy used to run the um, the USAWA All Around Weightlifting Association or whatever. I heard him speak one time, and he said, "One of the reasons I have such a wide variety of lifts is if I go in and I have a plan, and the plan doesn't work very good, and I don't do very well, I change the plan so that I always leave successful at something. I always leave happy at something. I always leave. So if if you know maybe that's the max for the day and going perfect, but there's something you can do physically every time that will go well." that you'll be successful at, that you will progress at every time. And I think that's another reason for having a big tool bag to work, to work from. And you realize later on with the tool bag thing, the idea that, okay, I was just talking to my nephew and he's just getting into lifting and he's getting into lifting at a time when you can't buy a barbell because they're, because they're not to be, you know, you can, but it's difficult, you know, for a kid or whatever, because you can't get them anywhere. Everybody's bottom up because of the all gender clothes. Um, what I said to him is it doesn't matter if you perform the exercises I'm teaching you. It doesn't matter if you perform with a barbell or a dumbbell or a kettlebell or your body weight or a rock or a sandbag, the lifts, the muscles are all the same 
thing. The tools are less relevant than the knowledge, than the mindset, than how you think about this. Um, they're all just a, a tool to get the job done. So it doesn't, if you're turning a wrench on your car, does it matter if your wrench says Craftsman or Sears or, you know, or it doesn't matter. The wrench is the wrench. It doesn't, you know, um, so I hope that answered the question there. <laughs> no, that was awesome. I just, that, the, the way that you described it, and I literally just yesterday finished listening to a neuroscientist talk about it. And he was mentioning that the, the way that really successful athletes that they have studied work is like you said, they are able to go from 100 to zero. And he's like, the, the way he was mentioning it is that, that the mediocre athletes are the athletes that try really, really hard. They can't go to zero. They can never come back down. They can never do the smiling in between. They can never relax. And they said that was one of the biggest things that they noticed between elite level performers and non-elite level performers. So I love that you mentioned that. And then you also mentioned the fact that constant rotation of exercises and constant and a part of that is the, the keep it fun and to keep it winning. And he, he also mentioned the, the, the talk about how we're a playful species and like we want to play in quotations, find a way to explore, create and do these things. And the way society is set up currently today, we don't ever have that outlet to play. It's, it's always this, 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 and we don't have that outlet to create and play in quotations. I don't want to like, but we don't have that outlet anymore. And finding ways in our training to do that, to explore, to create, is what's going to lead to a fulfilled training session, a happy training session where you leave like you got a lot of work done, but you leave feeling like, oh, that was awesome. Like, I feel better about myself. This feels good. I want to do this again. Yeah. And I think we have that. We have those primal needs. Like, that's another thing that I think is that this does for us that because people are going to see this as different than I mean. it. But here's what I mean. I think this connects us to our primal self if you let it. Okay. This connects you to that, the, the, the instinctual happy driven animal inside you that wants to run and wants to play and wants to do those things. But it can come out. Most of us are so disconnected from that in life that we never really have the excitement that, that, that you should have. We never really have the passion that you should have for anything, for love, for sex, for training, for, for life. We, we're just, we're literally boring ourselves to death in the way that we live. Why not make this the most fun dude? There's, and there's, here's the thing. There's a lot of ways to skin this cat, meaning that there's a lot of ways to get the same result. Uh, okay, for instance, this is a, an, an example of how I do it. So I always train some kind of endurance, okay, in, within my, you know, I'm trained strength, endurance, balance, accuracy, all, all those things within my philosophy. But I keep one thing that I just sort of use as a testing for a particular type of endurance. And then I experiment because there's a lot of ways to build endurance. A lot of ways, a lot, a lot, a lot of ways. Does it matter if I built it by walking, running, sled dragging, running a riding a bike, riding a rowing machine, doing kettlebell snatches, doing uh, heavy bag work? not really my heart doesn't care which one it is it just cares that it got to work but my mind cares that i did something fun and experimented and did something different in it and my mind also cares that does this add up and when i piece this together as a puzzle okay this is my testing parameter and i did this this month and it made my parameter go up or it didn't make my parameter go up so i know that that doesn't work or works as well for me or whatever but i'm always got a i've always got a curiosity to work with i've always got something fun to play with i've got something new to do i'm never bored and, and now that does, okay, that does bring up a pet peeve for me in one particular area, okay? You need to do things from a strength perspective often enough to be good at them. So the idea of completely randomization training and completely instinctive training is blown, okay? You have to have, in other words, if you're going to be, you have to have, it doesn't really matter which one you pick, okay? But if you want strong legs, you got to have some kind of squat, 
Okay. Does it matter if it's Zerker squat, high bar squat, low bar squat, Anderson squat, front squat, belt squat? Not so much. But it matters that you do the one that you want to get good at often enough to do it. Um, you know, okay, can you be amazing at 25 different branches of science? Yes, but you won't be the greatest physicist in the world if you don't practice learning physics. Physics. You won't be the greatest. This that you have to have enough to, you know. Um, and that's what one of the big keys is having enough of a base of a particular thing, and then having time, effort, and effort to explore. And that connection to that that moving primal, pred almost predatory way. But fun. Okay, if people see that as an oh, you're just you know acting like a caveman. Well, guess what? Cavemen had a lot of fun, <laughs> and and they were. We dissociate our our excitement and our passion from our life in a way that the primal connects instead of dissociation. And that's another big mental, physical, spiritual thing of this is when I'm out there, I am, and I'm training many moments of that. I am like an animal, but I take that into my life where I begin to then live that way in that I believe in and rely on my instincts and I act out of them versus acting out of a scared, timid, um, separated set of mindset. I don't, I don't go, you know, see what I mean? And there's a connection there that you can, those physical things bring that out in you. They're, they're you know, they're the things that we were doing 3,000, 5,000 years ago to live every day, not lifting a barbell, but if you didn't walk and run and hunt and move and lift and you didn't live. And if you do all those things and you open up those channels of the body, I think you open up those channels in the mind as well. You don't get better at this unless you're passionate about it. But if you get passionate about this, why can't you be passionate about everything else? Why can't you live that way where, where it drips off of you and what you, how you talk and what you do and who you're with and what you do with them? And, and how, you know, why, why not be that person in the room? Why not be that way? Why not let this unlock it for you? Okay. I want you, you for me, a lot of this, okay, is about nailing yourself to that goal but being so locked on that mindset that you want that thing so bad, you will do whatever to get there. Not illegal or terrible things, not what I mean, but you'll do whatever it takes to make yourself powerful enough to do that thing. And why not let that excitement come over to other areas of life? Why not, why not let that, why not, why are we living such a, such a pathetically boring existence? And it comes out, I think, in some of our training. Most people are, you know, most people are mindless in what they train because they don't really care about what they do. Like, you've got to learn to enjoy the craft of the thing as well as work for the result. And I think that's a big issue with that. Um, and I think that's something that we un unlock. We, are, we, we exist in a time where you can live only with thumbs, where all you need is to be able to press a button to order food or work or do whatever, but we are meant to live as a primal animal. We are meant to, to walk, to move, to run, to play, to work. We're meant to have socialization with other people that way. Why not make the most of the physical thing that you have, the body that you have, the vehicle, to make the most of the rest of your life and mind and fun and passion and, and that you have? And this is a perfect opportunity to do it. And it does, it's not rocket science. It does, it's like, you know, okay, I've spent a lifetime studying training, but I, don't, I can teach you in about half an hour the basics, enough to get it done, enough to start unlocking your own, enough to start building that, enough to start connecting with, Getting to a place that is unlocking the, the deeper, passionate power that's sitting inside you that you refuse to unlock, which is what the primal is.
Yeah, coach, you're going to be fired up because once, <laughs> once you feel that and, and once you do it, and like you said, I, I know why you're fighting to come up with words for it because once you feel that part of you unlock and you're able to bring that out into a room, it, it just totally changes your perception on what you're talking about. And I think that was a, you got me fired up. I think it's a good transition period to our rapid fire round for our last little bit of the podcast. And this rapid fire round is quick questions that I got for you. Um, I have them for all the guests. It's the only questions I say the same for all the guests. But the first one is um, some of your favorite books or your favorite book um, that you think listeners can get a lot out of. I'll give you a strong man book uh, because uh, it, it may be hard to find though. There's a book called the spiritual journey of Joseph L. Greenstein or it's called the mighty Adam book. They re- it was originally called the mighty Adam. They renamed it later. And it's about one of the greatest strong men in history and his life, but it's very touching about um, mentality and strength. It's very, it's most, much more about that than it is about the physical feats. It's about his, development of life. And it really hasn't just an absolutely amazing life story. Um, I like Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I, I'd say those are two that, I, um, th- those are two of my favorites probably. And that, uh, um, if I had to pick one, some off the top of my head, I mean, that, those are, um, yeah, uh, uh, I'm actually, I'm reading a book right now about uh, a guy who fought a hundred man Kumite, which is a pretty interesting book. Um, I'm reading, that's one, that's what I personally am reading right now. Uh, anything that builds your imagination along with your knowledge, you know, like I, I, I tend to read across a wide variety of both. I don't read a lot of nonfiction, uh, a lot of uh, fiction anymore, you know, but I tend to read across a wide variety of, of people. Um, well, I do some nonfiction, some fiction, but I, you know, only because I like the old Conan books. <laughs> <laughs> the original, the original Robert Howard uh, books, but um, yeah, that's what I would. Those are my picks right now. I like that being able to grab from, and this is what I like. A lot of the the best coaches that we've had on the podcast, they they talk about that wide variety of books, and like you said, the imagination part, being able to draw from other aspects of things and apply it into what you're doing. So I love that. The, the next question, and this is kind of, I'm really interested in who you suggest here, because I think you might have a out of the box one that I haven't heard of before. So uh, who's a guest that you think we should have on the podcast, somebody that we should reach out to, um, to have, give the listeners some lessons. Huh. Uh, well, I'm going to give you two, uh, David Weck. Uh, if you can get, if, I don't know if David, you may, you may have trouble getting David. David's a pretty busy guy, but, uh, uh, and then David Whitley. Okay. Uh, David Whitley is a, bro- a brother of mine. That's a strong man. Uh, who does some very interesting coaching stuff? A lot of um, lot of coaching in that area right now, um, and he his he's going to talk a lot about mindset, and he does a lot of that kind of thing. He has a book called Superhuman You about unlocking that potential as well as physical and mental and the whole thing. And Dave's an interesting guy or whatever. David Weck is the guy who actually invented the Bosu ball. Oh, really? Yeah, and David has some of the most interesting movement theory that I know of. That David has an entirely different theorem on running than most people. Uh, uh, and he has a, a set of tools based around building you a better runner. And it made me run better, more comfortably, faster. And um, it's very interesting. He, he is a wild dude. He is an interesting, interesting human being. Uh, he is like <laughs> his normal en- energy is like somebody is just day to day. Normal energy is like somebody high on cocaine. Like he's that kind <laughs> Uh, he's that kind of guy. Um, he's brilliant. And it, but he's just like, 
he's locked on the target of, of constantly making movement better, like all day, all that you watch him move. And he's like, he's just standing around in an elevator. He's jumping around moving. Like he's a, his theory on running is really based on recruiting better um, supporting systems throughout the body, recruiting the upper body into uh, generating power versus away from generating power. So it's not a locked torso. It's a rotating torso as torso as you run. Um, it's some pretty phenomenal stuff and it's all about movement better he's got a right now he's exploring a whole thing about the way the edges of your feet hit the ground and what they do and what that creates for movement and if i if you can get dave either one of those guys i would get i would get him awesome yeah that's exactly the the fire that i thought you're going to bring with those guys so I'll, I'll check those guys out the the next question um and this is maybe a one-year goal maybe it's next week but what's kind of next for you what's that what's that next thing that you're looking forward to doing i got a couple of ideas um I've been exploring a lot of this recently. So a lot of this is a combination of a heavy lift and an extreme endurance event. Um, for me personally, that's a, that's another one. Um, um, so something along the lines of a really heavy squat and marathon in the same day kind of thing. Um, which now, it, honestly, if you ever see me run a marathon, it'll be the slowest marathon ever. Like I'm, I'm terrible. I'm terrible at it, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. I'm just not, you know, you know, I, I'm, uh, I have an idea for a strongman feat stunt that I want to do in the next little while. Uh, <laughs> I want to hold a ramp probably on my back while somebody jumps a motorcycle over it. <laughs> um, I'm exploring how to build and do that right now. Um, so those are my immediate physical goals. I have two books that I'm finishing that I've, I've been meaning to come out with and that too. Uh, so those are kind of immediate goals. We're also launching a t-shirt line. So like those are immediate business goals, that kind of thing or whatever. And, uh, but uh, yeah, those are, that's kind of my immediate physical goals. Yeah. Well, you for I sure. Circling around in my, <laughs> in my uh, idea of things. I also want to, I want to, I want to hit a target with a rifle at a thousand yards. I think it would be uh that's a pretty gnarly goal. So you, you uh, for sure have had the most interesting answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and then the, we're, we're, we're to our last two questions of the podcast. Um, and you already mentioned this one, but this is kind of when all the coaching is over, when everything is done. What, what do you want your, your legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you? From a strong man perspective, I want to be the, I want to be known as the guy who did the, the widest possible variety of, of really upper class feats. I, I would like to, I kind of have an idea of, I'd like to catalog a thousand feats in my lifetime. I'd like to a, a thousand different feats spread across every possible medium of strength. Um, but from a life perspective, I want to, I want people to say that no matter how crazy you thought I was, I was a good man. I did the right thing by my people around me, by the right thing, by God, I did the right thing to help other people that I carried on my son's legacy that I, um, that I was the most interesting guy you've ever met maybe would be a good, uh, a good one. Um, I think those are the things that, that I help people that I actually maybe change somebody's life. That, that would be, that'd be a better legacy than the rest is, you know, whatever it is, what it is, people are going to say whatever they're going to say to you, but I, those are the things I really hope for. I love that. And then the last question of the podcast, and this is one of my favorites of the entire podcast, but it's that billboard message that you have for somebody that's in that valley that's in that tough spot in their life. Um, they're really trying to push forward. They're trying, they came to you and they're like, what should I do? What's kind of your billboard message for that person? Okay. 
You're going to go through times in your life. And, and that's another thing about the training that we've talked about. You're going to go through hard times in your life. You're going to go through hard times in training too, where you really want a goal and it's some seems elusive and you have to problem solve to get there and it takes longer than you want. One of the great things about training is you build the skill of never quitting. And when you're at that moment in your life where things are the same, well, if you've got a skill of never quitting in this, you, then you've got that skill that can be transferred to, I'm having a hard time with a relationship and I'm not going to, I'm either going to make myself safe and get out of something toxic, or I'm going to gut through and, and get to the place where we really do are together. Or if I'm in a place where I'm experiencing loss, I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to give up. And I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, we, we found this uh, statistic. My wife found the statistic. I, I had no idea about this, but uh, she joined a, a, a grief group after our son passed after a while. She joined it really as a, not, it's a Facebook group. And I don't, and she joined it just to, to work through some of the stuff, but, and really to, to help some of the people there is really why she joined. But she found this statistic that like people that lose children, like we did some, some ridiculous level. I mean, it's a huge percentage, something like 40, 50% of them end up committing suicide in, in a couple of years, within a few years. And most of them end up divorced or if they're, you know, um, no matter what the hard thing in your life is, you have to make the decision that no matter what, you won't quit, that you won't let it beat you, that you won't let the people around you crush you or that you won't let them down. And here's what I mean by that, by giving up, not that, that people get to have that expectation of you. But like one of the things I've told people who have lost their children is your child does not want you to give up. They don't want you to. And, and here's what happens to people who what happened to the thing that happened to me. Okay. You either go on and live and make the decision to live one way or the other, no matter what, you don't quit. I don't care what it is. Or you curl up in a ball and die either, either physically or, or me metaphorically. Uh, you have to, at some point make it, And remember that most of the things we go through in life, because I'll tell you something else that, that changes your perspective. Most of the crap people are complaining about that they're worried about doesn't mean anything. Um, if you're having a bad day, your coffee's cold, you know, Hey, I'm sorry, your coffee's cold. That doesn't mean squat. Learn to let go of the little stuff that doesn't mean anything and stop complaining. Learn to say only positive things about yourself and other people. Okay. And rip, I, I have a thing I call rip the knob off positivity. And, and it's about the same thing with commitment. Um, there was a radio station in my area years ago and, and they had a thing with, that was a uh, crank it up and rip the knob off. Okay. And, and here's what I mean by that. I have decided that I will be positive. I don't care what happens. I have decided that I will not quit. I don't care what happens. I have taken the ability to quit and the ability to see things negatively out of the picture. And if you do that, you can get through absolutely anything. Find somebody to talk to if you got to. Do whatever you got to do. Find an outlet, but begin to, begin to use the things we talked about today, okay, to make your life more resilient and make it better and, make, and take whatever little step, whatever it is, Whatever that challenge is, you absolutely can get past it. And if you need to pray, you need to get your deal with God together. You need to get with other people in your relationships together. If you need to cut somebody out of your life, do what you need to do, but don't quit. Because that, what does that do? That, you know, what does that do? That doesn't, that never helps. That never does anything. never solves anything. Doesn't make you better. Doesn't make anybody around you better. Doesn't make your life better. Don't quit. Coach, that's freaking awesome. That's uh, our whole company mantras, keep chopping wood for the same exact reason. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, you put it in the best way possible. This, this, this was an awesome podcast. I, I got a whole page of notes. I'm, I'm 
tried to listen to everything just in a moment. That was freaking awesome. Thank you, coach. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.